We love you. Welcome. So cool to have you. So, so cool. So cool. Pastor Jack and Carol, you're legends. You're good for us. This is good for us. It's good for the planet. It's good for my heart. I come and hang around you guys and I remember what it's all about. So, so thank you. Thank you. And thank you, church. Thank you to those of you that have been part of this journey and, and uh, just this mission for so long. And for those of you that have just jumped on board, you're part of a train that's going somewhere. So uh, very, very cool. And to, uh, to our friends all around the place, to those of you in Melbourne, hello, Craig, good to see you. Or good for you to see me. So, very cool. Luke chapter 19 is where we're going to dive into tonight. Luke chapter 19. Something that the Lord arrested me. I actually planned. I, I thought I had a pretty good plan for tonight, but the Lord had even a better plan. And so I really feel we just need to be obedient. Have you ever asked yourself the question, what will they put on my tombstone? I know it's morbid and I know it's only Friday, but <laughs> I ponder questions like that. What will they put on my tombstone? I, I told Lynn what I want. I told you I was sick. <laughs> You're worth waiting for. fact of the matter is, whatever they put it won't really bother us, will it? Because... Uh, we get there fast. Life's short. I was doing a men's event not so long ago, and I had my oldest son, who's 30 years younger than me, and I had my father, who's 30 years older than me. The three of us stood on a stage, and we shared together. My dad's still alive. He's 93. Still preaches every second Thursday, bless his heart. And, and it was just a surreal moment, because I looked to my left at my son, and I thought, Yesterday I was you. <laughs> and tomorrow? The Apostle James reminds us that life's like a vapor. I boiled the kettle this, this afternoon and I watched the steam. James says that's what your life's like. It's here and it's gone. If you walk through a cemetery and you see those plaques on tombs, here lies John Smith, date, dash, date. We live in the dash. But that dash gives us incredible opportunities. We're stewards of that dash. We're stewards of a moment in time when we have incredible opportunities to have an investment and to make a difference in eternity. And that's what this gathering's about. That's why you jumped online. That's why we've been challenged with these incredible little cards. I, I come to imaginations. I don't know I'm a Christian, but I'm going to tell you something. I steal things. Because <laughs> it gets on me. I, 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 wanna, I don't know how long my dash is going to be, so I, I want to make it count. It was Martin Luther who made this profound statement. There are only two days that matter. Only two. 
this day and that day. That day. When we will give account for what we did with our time, our treasure and our talent. Luke chapter 19. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. It's kind of like he wasn't planning to stop. I've been to modern Jericho. I can only imagine what it was like back then. You wouldn't want to stay long. And he was passing through. And a man was there by the name of, now let's just get this sorted so we're not going to have any arguments People pronounce this name differently. Who calls him Zacchaeus? Would you please raise your hand? Who calls him Zacchaeus? Raise your hand. Okay, that's what I call him too tonight. (laughs) I'm going to put the emphasis on that syllable and we're all good all night. All right, here we go. So there was a man by the name of? And Dr. Luke tells us a few things about Zacchaeus. Number one, he was a chief tax collector, and he was wealthy. Those two are related. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because here's the third thing Luke tells us about Zacchaeus. He was short and couldn't see over the crowd, so he ran ahead of the crowd, and he climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him. Since Jesus was coming that way, pause. Jesus is going through the city of Jericho and he he comes across a man called Zacchaeus. First thing he tells us is that he was a tax collector. Not just an ordinary tax collector, but a chief tax collector. Now, they were a despised group. Now, if you're here tonight from the ATO or especially if you're watching online and you're auditing... Jack, we love you and we thank God for what you do in this nation. We're talking historically. Back then, they were a despised group. They were seen as vile human beings. So vile, they weren't allowed in the synagogue. Them and shepherds. Seen as filthy. Seen as vile people that they didn't want around. You know know what's crazy about this? Do you know what Zacchaeus' name meant? When, he, when his birth came in, when he was born, his parents looked at him and said, and you shall be called Zacchaeus. Particularly in Bible days, that was a, a declaration over them, over the, what was happening in that moment, over what their future might look like. We, we know that right through Scripture, names meant a lot. And they, they looked at him and they called him Zacchaeus. When my birthday day I came into this planet, my parents looked at me and they said, and he shall be called Wayne. I wondered what that meant. One day, one of those book of names was hanging around. One of our children was on its way. And I, I went to the back, got to W-A-Y-N-E. You know what my name means? Wagon maker. <laughs> Profound. Life-changing. One of, one of my nieces sent me a, a text just a week or two ago and she said, Uncle Wayne, I, I've uh, been looking at some things because one of the f- family is about to expect another child. And they said, we're looking at names and there are some names that are actually at risk of being wiped out from the human race. Wayne and Bruce. <laughs> Ladies, don't get too excited. Here's the truth. For you, it's Beryl and Cheryl. 
Never asked my parents what they were thinking, but we'll move on. On that day, he was born. Zacchaeus' parents looked at him and said, we'll call him Zacchaeus. That, you know what that name means? Pure and innocent. Did, is there something wrong with this picture? The parents declared over this little child, he would be pure and innocent. But society's calling him vile and repulsive. Don't come. Let's use our language. You're not welcome in church. You can't come near this place. Makes you wonder what went wrong. The second thing Luke tells us about us is that he was rich. How he got his money is no doubt questionable. But what we do know is that money didn't satisfy the deep longings of his soul. Back in the day when I was running Youth Alive, I dropped that in so that you do know that I was once young. Uh, I, there was a season where we were in desperate need to raise a lot of funds and, and I was given some opportunity to speak at some business seminars and I did that for a, a couple of years and, you know, just doing that thing, that motivational speaking thing, which in the end, it just wasn't my deal. But, but I, I, I remember walking out of one of those events with my host and, and I looked at this brand new sports car. It was one of those very, very expensive European things. And I walked past it and, and, and I said, wow, that's impressive. And he said, yeah, it's mine. I said, wow, I'm not even going to ask you how much that cost. And he said, oh, I'll tell you, three marriages. Stuff doesn't satisfy. Luke tells us, in these verses we've just read, that he wanted to see Jesus. The old preacher, Billy Graham, said, every human being has a God-shaped hole and no one and nothing but God will fill it. He wanted to see Jesus. I pastor a church now called Hope Center, but way back in the day, it was called Glad Tidings Tabernacle. You can tell it was a powerful church. Glad Tidings Tabernacle. It's crazy because my, my dad was an itinerant evangelist when I was a little boy and uh, there was a season when we were based in that church and I remember the Sunday school anniversary, that concert where the children put on a, a thing once a year and I remember I got to read something and I, that Glad Tidings Tabernacle had this massive pulpit, huge big thing, looked like a chariot because you stepped into it. And I still remember, it's vivid, I was about seven or eight years of age. I remember standing up there and etched into the pulpit with these words from the book of Acts. Sir, we would see Jesus. I think everybody, they can't put it into words. And they take in all these detours and they hope somehow something or someone will lead them. But there's this longing of the human heart to know him, to meet him. And the fourth thing that Luke tells us about this guy, he was short. He was short. Now, you wonder, why is that important? Well, we'll find out in a moment. Crowds can be a particular problem for people that are vertically challenged. I, I, we, our church... 
had for many, many years, we had a drug rehabilitation program and a lot of amazing people came through, some of whom are still my friends, saw God set them free. In fact, my current personal trainer is one of the people that got converted in that space. It's a great story. But I was down there one day and having lunch with all the fellas and uh, one of them says to me, Pastor Wayne, and he points to one of the fellas. He said, see Jeff over there? He said, yeah. He said, how tall is he? And I, I was being polite and he was actually really, really short. He said, Pastor Wayne, he is so short you can see his feet in his passport photo. <laughs> Same with Zacchaeus. Little human being. And he had a problem. The king of kings, the one they'd been talking about, the miracle worker, the one with the profound teaching, the one who'd fed the crowds, the one who'd done so many amazing things, healed and set free. He was coming to town and the crowds gathered and Zacchaeus couldn't see him, but he fixed the problem. The answer to his problem was what? A tree. He climbed a tree. I'm going to show you. A sycamore fig tree, Exhibit A. He climbed one of them. The solution to his immediate problem was a tree. So what's that got to do with the missions conference? Come with me a little further. When he reached the spot, Jesus stopped and looked up and said, what was his name? Zacchaeus. Come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw this and began to mutter, he's going to be the guest of a sinner. Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor and if I've cheated anybody out of anything I will pay back four times the amount and Jesus said to him today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham big drum roll for the son of man came to seek and save the lost to seek and save the lost All the people began to mutter, he's gone to be a friend of the sinner. You know, I know a lot of Christians that would never be accused of that. Because they're only friends with Christians. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. What an amazing encounter that Zacchaeus had with Jesus Christ. Changed everything. Changed his life. Look at look what happened. Firstly, the, the, the dignity that Jesus gave this man, firstly by noticing him. Just by noticing him. You know, when, when, a, when a tax collector would, would walk along the street, people would go to the other side of the street. They would get out of it. They wouldn't look at him. They'd look away. You know, one of the things I love is I've been watching these projects come on the screen one after the other after the other. You know what this church is saying? You know what you're saying? You're saying, we see you. We notice you. For a lot of people, you might feel like you're out of sight and you're out of mind, but we see because our King has given us His eyes and we see what you are doing. We see where you are and we see your need. And in our way, we're going to do what we can. We see you. Just in seeing Zacchaeus, Jesus gave him dignity. Everyone else had looked away. 
And then he accepted him. Whoa, next level. I'm coming to your house. Mind-blowing. Keep rolling forward. Look at what happens. This man's life is changed forever. Doesn't the gospel make a difference? You know my favorite time in church life? Water baptism. I sit there and think it's all worth it. I'm a mess every water baptism service. I've given all of our sites, and we've got seven of them now. I said, your challenge is to have at least once a month baptism services, hopefully more. Let's be believing for more and more souls because people need Jesus. Somebody say amen. People need, and, but I, sometimes I stand there and I watch them. And I won't even tell the stories because some of the things that are happening and lives that are being changed are no longer politically correct. The government's even going to try and stop some of the things that we're seeing happen. But we, the government can't stop what Jesus is doing. That's the good news. And, and I'm watching stories happen before my eyes. I think, I know you. What a change. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it's the power of God, the salvation. Amen. It changes lives. It changes the key is life. He met Jesus. You know, when you read scripture, can, can I encourage you to do something? Read with the video playing. Don't just read the words, see the picture. See the picture. Look what's happening. I oftentimes not only see the picture, I kind of play, Where's Wally? And I'm Wally. And I go, Where am I in this picture? Am I standing with Jesus or am I muttering with the religious people? Where am I? The other thing I try to do when I'm reading the Bible is I ask questions. I ask a lot of questions. I ask questions of the text. And when I read this story of Zacchaeus and Jesus and that incredible moment and the tree, I ask questions like, who planted that tree? Who planted it? Put the picture of the tree back up on the screen, please, team. Brilliant. Big hand for the team, by the way. They're doing such a good job. Unbelievable. Who planted that? I know. I I know who planted it. Somebody. (laughs) A nameless somebody. Somebody who gets the fact that it's far more important in life to be significant than prominent. Somebody just did something one day, which one day would mean that somebody one day could meet Jesus and have their life changed. That's amazing. We don't know who they are. In fact, that's the kingdom of God. Paul says, have a look. There's not that many of us that are big and powerful and righteous and, and smart and noble and clever and all those things. But hey, we're just a bunch of ordinary people serve an extraordinary God. And we do our bit and we plant that little seed and we put little shoots in the ground. And one day, boom, who knows, people can meet Jesus. That's how it works. Whoever they were, it cost them. It cost them. I was reading this one day and and I said to a couple of the young leaders around me, I said, who do you reckon planted that? One of them said, oh, it's probably just bird dropping. I said, don't talk any longer because the more you talk, the more ignorant you sound. Because here's the deal. Civic leaders 
would plant sycamore fig trees outside city walls so that people who were on journeys would have two things, shade and food. They, they, it would just be something that would help them along their way. And you start and you think, somebody was planning ahead. Somebody was thinking strategically. Somebody ha- had the ability to somehow, and with, and the, with the intuition, to, to put things like that somewhere, someday, so that people could be helped on their journey of life. Wow. This wasn't accidental. It was intentional. I asked, could, could that person who planted that tree, rolled up their sleeves, got their hands dirty, paid for the thing, could they have ever imagined the life change that would have resulted from their efforts? Like, they were just putting in a tree. Could they ever imagine that what they did would mean that someone would encounter the Son of God? No. And as I read it and I get down to verse 8, I, I, I ask, could they have ever known the blessing that would flow because of what happened on that day. See, I I love the fact that the gospel's never meant to be a cul-de-sac where it reaches a life and stops. It's meant to be like dominoes, life to life to life to life to life. And and that's what's happening in this moment. Look, Look at what Zacchaeus does. In that moment, the poor were helped. He gave half his goods away. Right there and then. Right there and then. You see, see when, when we freely receive, it's very, very hard to not freely give. There are some words that don't belong together, like Microsoft Works. Not my house. Some words don't belong together, like stingy Christian. It's like pickles on your ice cream. They just, it just, doesn't, just doesn't fit. It's just wrong. And once you've encountered the extravagant kindness of God, how can you do anything but respond with generosity? <laughs> Justice was restored. One of the real drives behind Imagination's conference is, is that people would experience justice and know Jesus. Justice was restored. He said, if I've stolen anything, I'm going to give it back four times. And then kingdom of God continued to advance as we see relationship upon relationship flows right there from that moment. Amazing. All because somebody planted a tree. Without that tree, Zacchaeus would never have met Jesus. He had limitations. He had limitations that prevented him from seeing Jesus. He was short. Can I tell you something? No, one, no one's born and says, Do you know what? I wish I was short. It's not their fault. It's not their fault. And there are a lot of people that have never met Jesus, and it's not their fault. It's not their fault that they had experienced things or in their family they'd experienced stuff and their perspectives of God have been distorted. Some people somehow or other were exposed to dead religion. Way, 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 way back in my early 20s, I actually, one of my roles for the government was I used to run immunisation clinics. Let's not even go there right now. (laughs) 
And what we'd do is we'd give people, particularly children, we'd, we'd inoculate them. We'd give them a little, either a small, a small taste of the real thing or a synthetic version of the real thing so that would immune them, make them immune and inoculate them from ever experiencing the real thing. That's what dead religion does. There's just a little bit of something that stops you ever having the full-blown encounter with Jesus and knowing the fullness of the life that he offers. Not their fault. Some people in our nation aren't born into Christian homes. One of the ministries in, in our church is a magnificent program. It puts a lump in my throat. It's called Mimi's House. Mimi's House was set up by, by one of our school chaplains who started to realize there's kids falling through the school system, not because they're dumb, but because their life in their home is so chaotic. They go to school hungry, never have breakfast. They, they can't do the homework because there's domestic violence and on and on. You know the story. So we set up this home called Mimi's. Mimi's is like grandma, European word for grandma. And we set up grandma's house and, and schools trust us. Now we're moving more and more to everywhere. We've got a location of what your language, a campus. We're setting up a Mimi's house. And, and secular school principals are trusting us. Ten kids a day from every one of these schools. And we're, we're taking them. But you start meeting these kids. By the end of the year, many of them end up student of the year in their school. It's a phenomenal story where we teach them dignity and self-esteem and diet and how to make lunch and how to wash their hair to get rid of nits out and, and all those kinds of things. And the, like, the transformation's amazing. But when we meet them, you, you, you talk to them about Jonah and they say, did he play for the Brisbane Broncos? No idea. And we're dealing with a more and more secular society that we, we get up, hey, we start talking so people understand our Christian language. They haven't got a clue. It's not their fault. Then we start talking about some of these nations where other religions or even uh, by government rule, no religion exists. It's not their fault. They've just, they didn't even know there was a Jesus to look for him. I was in China three years ago and I met a guy, I introduced myself, we're talking, he was actually sharing at a conference, had a wonderful grip on the English language too, by the way, and we were talking, he was 24 years of age. His code name is Jackie. I said, why do they call you Jackie? He said, look at me, Pastor Wayne, I look like Jackie Chan. <laughs> True story. Jackie was 24, 24, he'd already planted 18 churches. I said, that's impressive. Thinking that he was one of the, you know, people whose parents, maybe house church, pastors or whatever. I said, tell me a story, Jackie, over breakfast. He said, Pastor Wayne, when I was 19, I was at university and somebody started having a conversation about God in, just in the canteen. And he said, I listened to this guy and I pretended I knew what he was talking about. I went home, this is a true story, I went home and I looked up the word God in the dictionary. Not even Jesus. Talking about secular, not even Jesus. And those conversations led them further and further down the path where he made Jesus his Lord and out of there he's dedicated his life to planting church. He's amazing. But I think it wasn't his fault. It wasn't his fault. And, and on and on the stories, we, we all know people that 
they haven't seen him and there's limitations that stop them. But somehow, some way, that tree made it possible for somebody that had limitations to finally have an encounter with the Son of God and everything changed forever. Everything changed forever. An academic, a theologian by the name of Elton Trueblood, what a great name. He made this statement. He said, a man has made the start on discovering the true meaning of life when they plant shade trees under which they know full well they never will sit. Plant the sycamore fig tree. Who knows how many years before that was planted? Who knows? That's eternity. That's, that's living life valuing the dash. And it's not about me and it's not about here and it's not about now. What I'm actually going to do is I'm going to invest and pay it forward, never knowing how what I'm doing now can actually help somebody see Jesus. That's what this is about. This is about planting sycamore fig trees. It's about what it is. See, I, I, I pastor a church where I live as the beneficiary of, of, of fig tree planters. I asked the team maybe to, to, to put the, the, the photo of the people in the tent. That's my church. 1930. A man by the name of William Booth Clibben came to Brisbane. William Booth Clibben, William Booth's grandson, the founder of the Salvation Army, came to Brisbane. And he started some meetings in a tent. They called it the Canvas Cathedral. God had so called him to Fortitude Valley, which was already a rough part of Brisbane. By the time we arrived in the year 2000, it was the red light capital of the city. And he had this incredible capacity to preach. And, and most of those people, people that got saved in, in his term of only two and a half years where he was the pastor. 1930 was the start of the Great Depression, thereabouts, which gripped our nation. During COVID, people were getting concerned that the, the, the unemployment rate in our nation was getting up to about 10%. In the Great Depression, it was north of 30%. We've started some ministries and we're doing some things all around the place, which has required people to step out and do some things by faith. And one day, a, a dear old man called George, about five years, six years ago, he came and he grabbed my arm. He said, Pastor Wayne, I love this. He was a man well into his 90s. His sister's in the photo. She was the musician for William Booth Clibben. He said, Pastor Wayne, I was, I was just a, a little boy and, and, and I remember sitting in the tent and they'd get up and they'd talk about how we're going to reach Brisbane for Jesus. And from Brisbane, we're going to reach Australia. And from Australia, we're going to make a difference in the world. And he said, William Booth Clibben would stand up and he'd take an offering and we'd sing songs. They'd go out the back of the tent and they'd count the offering. They'd come back and whisper to him, we haven't got enough. Because what they were planned to do, God put it in their heart in the 1930s to build a building. Show them the building, guys. To build a building and have it debt free so that the things that they were called to in church planting and mission would never be shackled by debt. And they had that vision at the height of the Great Depression. And George grabbed my arm and he said, I remember sitting and he said, our family used to tell stories for years and years how Booth Clibben would, would, would sing. They'd 
go out the back, count the offering, they'd come back and say, not enough. He said, most Sundays we'd take up four offerings. He said, I think the record was five offerings on a Sunday. We haven't got enough for the bricks this week. We haven't got enough for the timber. I won't bore you with photos, but Lynn and I went to that church 70 years later in the year 2000. In less than five years from that, somebody came and we had an arson attack. Somebody thought I was too positive and hated me and they burned our building down, that building. Got burned down. Before we'd done that, we went from to a small church that was struggling to, by the time the fire came, we were about to start our sixth service on a Sunday. And, and, and you know, it, it's just been amazing. And, and that fire happened and that building was demolished and we sold that and the land that was sitting on about... 10 years ago now for an eight-figure sum, which has enabled us to do a whole lot of things in our nation and way, way, way beyond. In fact, not only are we doing it now, but even back then because they had no debt, that church, I'm getting asked, Pastor Jack, I'm getting asked over and over to go and and open new church facilities. And I thought one stage I was being asked because I was the leader of our movement. I realized one day I'm not there in that capacity. I'm there as the leader of what was once Glad Tidings Tabernacle because that church because of what people did in the tent, had actually been able to go and buy, buy land and build, buy buildings and give them away over and over and over and over again in our city, in our nation and beyond. Tree planters. Tree planters who actually understood the power of the dash. You only get one walk on the planet. And it goes fast. I want it to count. And I want to count, want it to count for eternity. A lot of people talk about what they're going to do when they get to heaven. I've heard people say, when I get to heaven, I'm going to walk up to him and ask him, how come? I said, you're not going to do that. You're going to be glad you made it. (laughs) And then you're going to be shocked who else made it. (laughs) And then we're going to cast our crown. And then we're going to behold him and wait to hear those words. Well done, good and faithful servant. Who planted that tree? I don't know. They went out for the glory. They didn't have their name carved in the tree. But what they did meant that somebody with limitations could meet Jesus those projects all around the world, those things that Westcare is doing right here, seeds, so that we can grow sycamore trees, so that people with those limitations can meet the one who is the answer to the cry of their heart. Can we pray? Holy Spirit, we sent you in this place. Thank you, Lord, that we're, we're in this holy moment that's it's not a fundraising program. It's a wrestle. It, it, it's a wrestle with the question of what will I do for the sake of eternity? I thank you for this church. I thank you for how you've used it to bless and inspire so many others.
along with inspiring believers, Father, you're helping non-believers. You're helping the never-reached step up, climb a tree, and see Jesus. And so, Lord, I pray over this offering this year. I pray over the mission ventures, those 24 projects in those 18 nations. We speak blessing over them. And I pray the seeds that will be sown this weekend and in the days that come, Lord, I, we, we just agree for an incredible, not just harvest of souls, we pray for a harvest of sycamore trees. More and more trees, so more and more and more, an ongoing, an ongoing and powerful, powerful ability for more and more people to meet Jesus. Just what people are praying. I am... Um, Whenever I get the opportunity, I like just to give a moment for people who may be on their own journey. Maybe somebody jumped online and you're watching us right now. I'm not even sure how you ended up in this moment, but I do. God has been calling you. He cares for you. been drawing you. Maybe you're in this room. Maybe you've been on this journey for a while. You're kind of like the people that are walking around past Jericho and You intended to keep going, but somehow or other you just parked here for a moment. All of that, all of that, honestly, has been orchestrated by a living and loving God to give you a moment to answer a question. Would you like to meet Jesus? If you're online right now, I'm talking to you. God cares for you. Like he cared about that little guy that we just read about in the Bible. He cares for you. He, he knows the questions you've got. He knows the pain in your heart. And he wants to come to you. And all you need to do is say, oh, God, I don't know everything about you, but I know I need you. Come into my life right now. Change it from the inside out. He does that. Perhaps you're in this room. You've come with a friend. I assume at a missions conference you didn't just rock up and drive past and land here. You could have. That happens. But it's possible you've been on this journey questioning. Maybe you're on this journey home. I want to pray for you as well. So if that's you, it could be one person. And you've been worth the wait just for this moment. It's probably more. If that's you, if you're watching online or if you're in this room and you say, God, that's me right now. Just place your hand on your heart. Because everybody's got a God-shaped hole. And a career can't fill it. A relationship can't fill it. Possessions will never fill it. Nothing. Only Jesus does. Place your hand on your heart and say, God, that's me. I pray for you. That you would know God's incredible love. That you would know his acceptance. You would know his forgiveness. I pray that you would know what it means to be a loved by God just the way you are. And I pray that you would know a love that would cause you to not stay the way you are. And I bless you and I pray that this wouldn't be the end of your journey, but the start of a discovery of what it means to be completely born again. We agree for that in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. God bless.